Support for the sponsor pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey guys, it's Jason. Welcome to episode number four of the Sponsor Pod featuring Cisco Terreros, co founder of Felcrum. This is going to be a super interesting interview with Cisco. Why? Because he's a sports agent. What kid who loved sports growing up didn't think, I want to be a sports agent? I know that I did. We're going to take you down Cisco's path to becoming an agent, founding his agency, and specifically discuss athlete sponsorships. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> Columbus Crew, I shared offices with a guy named Brian Bliss. He goes by Blissy. He was our technical director, legend in the industry, played World Cups, played for the national team, coached at a very high level. And and I would see him with, you know, back then everything was DVDs, right? So he would have huge stacks of DVDs on his desk uh, of players that would send it to him and he would just be watching them. And one day joking, I said, bro, let me let me have half of them and I'll help you scout. I know I know a thing or two about soccer. Let me scout for you. He took me serious. He said, here's the stack. Come back and let me know which ones you like. So he gave me a giant stack of them and I came back with three and I said, I like these three guys. We actually ended up signing one of them uh, and he ended up becoming one of the leading top scorers at Columbus Crew history. show about sponsorship leaders and their experiences, stories, and how they see the ever-changing world of sponsorships. I'm Jason Smith, and on the show today, we're going to hear from Cisco Terreros, co-founder of Felton. So I was born and raised in Colombia, Medellin, Colombia. Um, beautiful country. Um, arguably, I've been all around the world, and Colombia is definitely my favorite country, um, aside from maybe Switzerland and, of course, the U.S. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, despite of its beauty, I grew up during a, during a very tough time, during a time of war. Uh, drug violence um, overpowered my country, especially my city. Um, as many of the listeners may know, um, Pablo Escobar was uh, that dominant figure uh, in not, not in a positive way. And, and so unfortunately, I grew up during a time that was scary. Going out in the street wasn't what you would think a normal little kid would have to fear. Um, and so th- that created an extra layer uh, of suspense to my, to, to my experience as a child. To give you an example, uh, one time I remember my parents calling frantically uh, the house phone saying that they were in the middle of, of, a, of a drug terrorist attack. Um, they were at the mall and a bomb went off and destroyed half the mall. Fortunately, they were on the side that did not get destroyed, but they were stuck there. And I was maybe nine, 10. And, and so again, That's despite crazy. of how beautiful our country is, my story as a child was underlined by something very negative and sad. 
but throughout it all, soccer and, and sports was definitely the thing that kept me afloat, kept me sane, kept me thinking, nah, we're okay. Um, then fast forward, Colombia makes it to, to the World Cup in Italy, 90. Um, and uh, we advanced the, through, uh, through the group stages. And it was an experience that I will never forget. I was seven years old, maybe. Uh, and I remember vividly that game when Frederick Cohn scores the, the, the goal that advances us to the next round and, and things like that that just made me very passionate about the sport. And, and soccer was definitely that thing that elevated my experience. And, and I somehow levitated above the, the ugliness yeah. Of, yeah. of violence. And yeah, that's in essence, that's who I am, literally. Um, without soccer, I would not be where I am today. So Literally, was, soccer was really an outlet for you as you were dealing with a lot of the stresses and all the the different uh, challenges that were going on in your country and in your community. For sure, and you got to understand that not only uh, was the violence um, everywhere, but also my friends were being victims of the violence. Not in the sense of they were being killed or stabbed or 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 being quote unquote victims, but they were actually infiltrating themselves in the in the war if you will yeah um and so and so it, it makes it sad and it makes you think if i didn't have uh the structure of soccer and the structure of a family what have i been where would i been and would i have been one of those guys um yeah. so in essence i'm very grateful for it and it's made me who i am that's awesome so you grew up in a really healthy family living in in <laughs> in, in challenging times it's for like. sure I mean, yeah, and, every and, and, every family has their challenges, right? But, for sure. But, uh, <laughs> mine, mine were a little bit more more intense, and you know, it's funny because there's an there's even more layers to that story. For example, my my grandfather was the mayor of Bogota uh, during this time, and so now we were not only targets uh, of violence because yeah. it was happening in the street, but also because my my father was a political figure. My grandfather was a political figure. Yeah. So yeah, trust me, there's stories galore that oh, I can I tell you about growing up in Colombia. And, and listen, despite of it all, most beautiful country you can ever see or witness or be part of or, or a beautiful culture, music, food, you name it. And Do you nowadays, ever go back? Have you ever gone back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go yeah. back every year. We go back yeah, every, every year. year. Okay. Every year or every other year. We try to make it at least every year, but every other year at the very least. Um, and we take the kids and, you know, my wife and kids are all, they're all, they're all gringos and and you know they fit like a glove down there and thank goodness now colombia is one of the safest countries in south america in fact the slogan of our country is the only danger you'll face is not wanting to leave uh because that's what we've turned colombia into is the safe haven that we always dreamed of being so i mean soccer was obviously a big part of your life and it, and it is today but uh was soccer what drew that what got you into the into the states? I mean, you played you played soccer for Dixie State University, which is in Southern Utah. So tell tell us a, a, about that story and that, sure. that transition from Columbia into the U.S. And yeah, so um, my family and I we were we were literally immigrants. Um, we came here as as refugees, if you will, without the actual visa title that you would yeah. get as a refugee, but we technically came here for a better life. Um, and like any Hispanic family dreaming of the American dream, yeah. we came here with nothing. Uh, my parents and I, we had $400 in our pockets and four suitcases. It was my little sister, my mom, my dad, and I. We moved in an apartment. Oddly enough, we moved to Salt Lake City. My dad had a connection 
the worked at the University of Utah and that's how we got hooked up to Salt Lake. I'd never heard of Salt Lake City other than the Utah Jazz because of course this was late 90s and and we know what happened with Carmelo and and Mike Jordan. Um and so and so I always knew Utah Jazz but that was as far as I knew of Utah. And so we came here $400 four suitcases, four people. We lived in an apartment with an with a family of four, two bedroom apartment, 700 square feet. Oh, yeah. um, they would, they literally lived in one bedroom and we lived in the other bedroom. Uh, my parents, we had a queen size bed. My parents, of course, would sleep in the bed and my sister would sleep on one side of the queen size bed at the bottom and I would sleep on the other side at the bottom. Uh, and I remember vividly thinking and looking up at the ceiling and thinking, is this what my life is going to be like? Am I going to be sleeping on the floor the rest of my life or can I make something out of this? I remember vividly the next day I woke up pumped. It was 01, 2001. And I remember looking uh, in the newspaper and there was a trial for um, um, for the Salt Lake, um, I, I can't remember the name, I think it was the Bees or whatever the, the, the professional soccer team in Salt Lake was at the time. And I remember thinking, okay, there's soccer here too. I can relate to these people. I don't know their language. I don't know their food. I don't know what they talk like. I, I don't know anything about them. But I think one thing we could relate on and that's soccer. So I went to the trial. Unfortunately, I didn't make the team, but I met some really good friends. And there I met some people at the high school that I was going to be attending. And one thing led to another. I started playing soccer. I got a couple of offers, uh, one uh, in Hawaii, another one up in up north in in, uh, in Portland and then uh, Dixie State. And I decided to go there just because of friends and proximity to family. And, uh, and of course, I don't know if you remember, but in the early 2000s, St. George was the party area. That's where high schoolers went. I don't know if it is right now. I, my 13 year old is not quite yet yet. So and well, I hope a lot of people is. go from Salt Lake, people who are not f- familiar with Utah, you know, people will drive from Salt Lake down to Southern Utah to get out of the cold weather to, yeah. to down there. It's, so it's, it's, it's warmer climate, red rocks, yeah. beautiful area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back then high school kids, that was the, that was the spring break with St. George. Uh, so I always view St. George as a really fun place yeah. uh, and beautiful. And so to me with friends and all of my friends were playing there too. And so we all went down there and we had one of the best teams since Dixie State has ever seen. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's my soccer story. That's, that's awesome. Um, and you played four, four years there then? Uh, yeah. So, so I played, no, I actually played two years. Um, oh, yeah, at it was a two, year, two year junior yeah, college. Correct. Point, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then I went on to, uh, to serve a, a mission for the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Um, and I was doing that for about two years as well. Uh, and then when I came home, um, it was Oh five, uh, prior to that, I was, I had an internship with the 2002 Salt Lake city Olympics. And I always tell people that's where the sports marketing bug bit me. That's when I knew this was my path. This was my world. I yeah, how did you end up with that? Story. How did you end up with that internship? Because that's, oh, that's a really cool, uh, that, that was back in 2002, right? When yeah, the Olympics were in, in yeah. Salt Lake City. And that's, that, what an amazing internship. How, how did you end up with yeah, that? Yeah, that story. Learn? Yeah, that's, that story is random of its own. So um, I don't know if listeners are, are familiar with this, but there's a company called Labor Ready. And what Labor Ready does is that you go in the mornings if you don't have a job, but they have a slew of jobs that people would hire them for. And you're kind of like a yeah. contractor, if you will. And you go in the morning, they contract it, they ship you out to whatever, and then, and then you come back. So one of my buddies said, hey, uh, Labor Ready is hiring for the Olympics. That would be really cool because, you know, you get a cool jacket. 
And I thought that was so <laughs> rad. So I remember people do I anything for shirts, jackets, <laughs> hats, right? <laughs> I know, especially especially a seven, eighteen, nineteen year old kid. So I come back uh, from from college. Uh, sure enough, I line up a labor ready at four thirty a.m. And sure enough, the first gig I got was uh, sweeping the stands at uh, at uh, at the Olympics. So I'm there sweeping and, uh, and I met uh, an intern and he said, oh, dude, I, yeah, this internship is so much fun. And I said, wait, there's internships. So I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, found the name of his manager, convinced his manager to give me an internship. And I got an internship for a few months. Um, and, that, and so it was not only for wait, the Olympics. So you were, you were just that. randomly, they, they just asked you to clean, clean the stadium and you ran to an intern and said, hey, well, can you get me a job as an intern too to help out? I mean, is that, that's, that's all that, it was. That, that is exactly right. And it actually sucks as a labor ready. I was getting paid as an intern. I did not see a cent, uh, but I could put it in my resume. Whereas with labor ready, I don't think I, well, maybe I could have, but it looked a lot more legit being an actual oh, intern. Yeah. And, and, and it actually, again, I always tell people that's where, that's where the market sports marketing bug bit me because that's where I started learning the industry of sponsorships, activations, marketing, PR, dealing with athletes, dealing with teams. And that's when I thought, hey, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So sure, it was kind of negative because I didn't get paid labor ready money, but <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what a great experience because it really, it really catapulted you to, to some of these other things that we're going to talk about and where you're at today. Um, but before we get after you graduated from from Dixie, um, you you started a, a nonprofit organization that you've kind of headed up for the last sixteen years since two thousand four. For sure, called, uh, hanging cleats. Right. What? T tell me. Tell me about that that organization. And I know that you're super active in it even currently today. For sure. So very. before we get into that, you started this around that time. So may, maybe um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so when I went, when I, when I was a, a missionary for my church, um, there, I saw lots of poverty. I was, I, I was a missionary in, in an area in Florida where, um, the only community or the only population in the orange groves were, were orange, uh, pickers and, uh, immigrants literally. Uh, and it wasn't just immigrants from Mexico or Guatemala. There were actually immigrants from Indian reservations in Mexico and Guatemala. So they didn't even speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. They didn't speak any language other than their native tongue um, from this indigenous uh, communities. And I saw lots of poverty. And that's where I saw that soccer was the only thing that tied us all together. So I started thinking, Colombia, soccer was the only thing that kept me alive. I moved to Utah. Soccer is the only thing that kept me sane and kept made me realize that we're all the same. And now as a missionary, soccer is the only thing that is keeping all of us um, as one human race. And that's when I decided I'm going to start a nonprofit. I don't care what it takes, but I'm going to start a nonprofit. So Hanging Cleats was born based on that, uh, you know, for based on this experience that this orange grows in Florida. And our mission is basic, um, is to utilize soccer as a tool to help endanger youth to uh, stay away from drugs and violence. In other words, to help kids like me when I was 10, 13 years old, um, to utilize soccer to do exactly what I did, which was stay away from all of that. Uh, since then, we've done a ton of missions almost once a year. 
we've donated hundreds of hundreds of balls and stuffed animals and gloves and cleats and you name it to people and kids in all around all the globe. And now I'm fortunate that uh, the Mike and Chase Levitt, um, and I don't know if any of our listeners knew who they are, but Michael Levitt was the governor of Utah um, uh, for several years. Um, and their sons, Chase and Michael, good friends of mine, they're now on, on the nonprofit with me and they're my co-founders. And uh, you know, having the strength of these two guys and their brains and their reach has just made us even a stronger nonprofit. So uh, I could not be any more prouder to have these guys and call them my friends, but also call them my co-founders because they're great. They're great kids. And, uh, and we have a lot of fun. We most recently, we went to Tijuana uh, and we partner up with an orphanage there uh, two, three months ago. And again, an experience that I'll never forget. You, you involve your, your kids in this, in this nonprofit as well, right? Yeah. From, from they were born and from the time they were born, to be honest, um, to give you an idea, Sam, my oldest, um, who's been the the longest running member, obviously, because he kind of got dumped into it when he was when he was a baby. Yeah, um, he's traveled the world with me, donating stuff. We've been to to Colombia, Mexico, uh, all other parts of the United States, um, and and he enjoys it, and he really really takes pride in it. And so now all my kids are heavily involved in it. That's awesome. That's great. You got your first real job you know, in the sports industry, um, with Real Salt Lake doing, um, Hispanic sales. That was your, yeah, that was your focus. For sure. So, for so sure. there's a couple of things there, you know, was there a difference between just general sales and Hispanic sales? Tell, tell me, yeah, like, there was, tell, tell me sure. how that worked. Tell me and how that worked. And there's still this to this day. Yeah. What's there's that? still this to this day. So, there's still there's still a difference to this day between the general sales and the Hispanic or multicultural yeah. sales. Yeah, for sure. But again, that's another interesting story of perseverance and, and not taking no's for answer. Yeah. So when when I came home from this uh, from this mission for my church, um, I immediately started connecting. I, I knew for a fact and right away that uh, Major League Soccer was coming to my city. So of course I was pumped. Um, and I immediately contacted one of my friends at the Olympics who had worked with me at the Olympics. And I knew that he had a major role at Salt Lake, at Real Salt Lake. And I said, buddy, you got to get me in. He said, unfortunately, we're a small staff. We don't have any spots, but there's an internship. I said, dude, I'll take it. So I came in as an intern and my you. job was in the sponsorship department. And my job was literally to walk around the stadium. And this was the very first game of the season, very first time the Real Salt Lake so this isn't, in the U.S. this isn't ticket sales. This is sponsorship sales. Yeah, this is on the sponsorship side. Yeah. Okay. So I immediately start. Uh, oh, so my job was to literally walk around the stadium and take pictures of, of executions and, and, and how these sponsors were paying for their sponsorships and, and what they were getting out of it. So... My literally my job description was take pictures and send them to us via email. That was it. But of course, because I was so hungry and I wanted an actual job with Real Salt Lake, I took it a little bit farther. I was taking videos. I was editing these videos, adding music to it. I was, you know, animating the logo of Real Salt Lake. In other words, my job was to take pictures and I elevated it to now making an actual presentation end of year presentation, if you will, that we were taking the sponsors. So Brooke Bingham and Todd Titus, big shout out to these two sponsorship giants, uh, Brooke Bingham, who I'm sure you'd worked with in the past. He's still in, he's still in the sports uh, in the sponsorship uh, industry today. Uh, they, I think they were impressed with the work I did. 
Uh, and so they went to John Kimball, who was then the president of Real Salt Lake, and say, hey, I think this kid has something in him. We should give him a job. And the rest is history. Uh, there was a small space that uh, we knew, which was the Hispanic community. Hispanics love soccer. I knew how to speak Spanish. I was Hispanic myself. And it was natural for me to speak to them, not only on the sponsorship side, but the ticket sales side. And as, as we grew as a team, so did my job. And so now my job was in telling, helping with the radio. Um, now executing some of the sponsorships or even radio spots, um, uh, player appearances with some of the Hispanic players, building large sponsorships with uh, Rancho's Market, which is a local grocery store, Hispanic grocery store in Salt Lake. So again, my job started evolving to the point that um, it, it got me, quote unquote, scouted to the Columbus crew, which is another major league soccer team. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like it was really a... a uh almost a feeder program for you to, to kind of catapult you into, into your, your career. And so you, you fly across the country and are you married at the time are you moving your family? Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, Sammy, again, the oldest, he was maybe two, I want to say. Yeah. So yeah, it was nerve wracking, but at the same time, it was, it was a dream come true uh, to move across the country to a city I had never been to. Um, and I, 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 I was ecstatic. I was, I knew that this was going to be, as you said, my catapult point. Um, and, and when I th- and when I look back at Real Salt Lake and this transition to Columbus Crew, I always tell people, Real Salt Lake gave me the base to become what I am today. Because at Real Salt Lake, I not only sold tickets and sponsorships, but we did it all, from downsizing banners at Rice Cycle Stadiums to taking people on tours at the new stadium. I mean, literally, we did it all. I swear I did not sell concessions because maybe I just wasn't lucky enough. But we did everything from top to bottom. We were a very involved team. And I genuinely believe that if it wouldn't have been for that, I wouldn't be here today because it taught me so much that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. So you make this change over to the Columbus crew. What was your job there? Right. So that was my original job was uh, a Hispanic uh, or multicultural business development. But okay. it was more than that. Um, uh, because again, now my job was to literally run the team, but on the Hispanic side. So I, for example, the, the TV and radio uh, personalities report to me. Um, the sponsorship team on the Hispanic side report to me. Ticket sales on the Hispanic side report to me. In other words, I literally had my own world for the Hispanic community and not just Hispanic. Uh, we manage all multicultural African-American, uh, Asian-American, LGBTQ, you name it. Um, and again, this gave me, uh, as I think of faces of my career, this gave me another layer of understanding of our sports industry that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Did they have this position already when you came over? Cause it sounds like you created that with Real Salt Lake and it's almost just the same position, but on steroids a little bit, right? It, looked, it ex- exactly was. There was a lot more to it. Did they kind of create that with you coming over? And did they start to see this trend of, of running the organization in, with two different uh, demographics in mind? Yeah, and, and uh, fortunately, I did have a pioneer that laid the path for me. His name is Eddie Carvacho, uh, legend in our industry. Um, Eddie was a professional goalkeeper. Then he was the he was uh, uh, one of the professional coach of Columbus Crew SC. Um, and after he retired, he transitioned to the front office, and that was his job. His job was to open the pathway uh, for the Hispanic community to the to the stadium. Because interestingly enough, um, 
data suggested that at the time I came into Columbus Crew, the Hispanic base accounted for 19% of the, of, of, the, of the fan base, which if you think about it, in a demographic like Columbus where the Hispanic community is maybe 3%, that's pretty substantial. Oh, yeah. So, so Eddie was doing a fantastic job. And fortunately for me and for Eddie, he got a job as the general manager of professional team. So he moved on. And Eddie and I knew each other very well. So um, he knew of my, the work I'd done at Real Salt Lake. And without skipping a beat, he said, Cisco's the guy. And I interviewed on a Monday and I was flying to Columbus on a Friday. That's amazing. And, and we kind of get to the part of your story where you actually become a sports agent. Yeah. So this, it, right, right. <laughs> well, this is it. So Columbus is actually where, where, where that sports agent bug bites me hard. So, um, again, it's like everything in my career has been so divine intervention type. Um, at Columbus Crew, I shared offices with a guy named Brian Bliss. He goes by Blissy. He was our technical director, legend in the industry, played World Cups, played for the national team, coached at a very high level. And, and I would see him with, you know, back then everything was DVDs, right? So he would have huge stacks of DVDs on his desk uh, of players that would send it to him and he would just be watching it. And one day joking, I said, bro, let me, let me have half of them and I'll help you scout. I know, I know a thing or two about soccer. Let me scout for you. He took me serious. He said, here's the stack. Come back and let me know which ones you like. So he gave me a giant stack of them and I came back with three and I said, I like these three guys. We actually ended up signing one of them. Uh, and he ended up becoming one of the leading top scorers at Columbus Crew history. So uh, I'm not saying that's the reason why he kind of saw something in me. No, but, I would take I, credit for that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so I, I said, I said, Blissey, please teach me everything you know. I want to become a general manager. I want to become, I, I want to become a coach. I want to do everything you're doing. Uh, and he said, done. And he literally took me under his wing. So, so this is where my job, as I mentioned to you initially, was multicultural um, focused. So then at that point, I started getting my, my uh, license certification to become a coach. Um, and I started coaching the U19, um, U20 uh, Columbus Crew uh, Academy team. And during that time that Lissy and I coached together, I was his assistant coach, he was a head coach. We won four national championships. Um, and, uh, and so I think Lissy and I had incredible chemistry. And then he started involving me a lot in the contract negotiations and all a lot of the stuff. And I started dealing with agents a lot. And I was disappointed because agents um, tend to be not the most honest and not the most truthful and I did not expect that of them and that's when I said rather than there I said Blissey I'm going to become an agent I want to disrupt this industry and I really think there's a huge uh, business opportunity for me to become an agent and say we're going to do the things right we're going to be transparent we're going to be honest and we're going to kill it for our clients we're, our, our clients are going to come first not money and, um, you know, next thing I know, I'm studying to take the FIFA course, take the FIFA exam. And next thing I know, I'm working for a sports agency as an agent. When we come back, how Cisco built an agency while working at Wells Fargo, sold it to a much larger company, and then did it all over again with Falcrum. We'll also chat about athlete endorsements and sponsorships. Stay with us. This is Jason Smith, and you're listening to The Sponsor Pod. Support for the sponsor pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. 
Hey, welcome back to the Sponsor Pod. I'm Jason Smith. Cisco just left the Columbus crew and landed his first gig as an athlete agent with Dow Sports Marketing. Yeah, and so you you started working with, is it DAO Dow, or da- Dow? Dow Sports. Dow, yeah. Dow Sports Management. Dow Sports. And uh, but you got you got certification through Pro Agency Academy. What's what what's that process? Um. So. <laughs> I knew again, just everything in this industry is not who you know, not what you know, but who you know. And I knew a guy that was, they had an agency in Mexico. Uh, his name is Mao, um, who ran uh, Dow Sports. Uh, and we became really good friends through our time at Columbus Crew, my time at Columbus Crew. So when, when I took my, my license and I passed the test and I became an agent, um, I immediately called him and he said, You have a job, move to Chicago. So I, you know, I moved my whole family to Chicago, dream come true, I'm an agent. Um, and was, although I was there a very short time, just a few months, Jason, I'm not lying. I legit believe it lasted like 10 years. That's what it felt like. We were easily putting 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. Um, I, I remember vividly that in the month of May, uh, of that year, I was home a total of one day, um, because we were traveling so much. We were working so hard. And um, it, it is, it's not that the agent world is like that because my life is not like that today. Um, I think it was a mixture of, of, of the challenges we had as a firm being small, um, as well as some of the opportunities we saw to conquer the world. Because you, uh, you were only doing to, that for about 10, 10 months. Is that, is that yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, and I mean, just wear on your family maybe? And it was for sure, for sure. And 100% for family reasons. Um, we decided this just wasn't going to work out. Um, and that's where the worst Fargo, worst Fargo opportunity came about. I think people don't realize the sports, the sports industry um, can really take a toll on your family if you let it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and it's an industry that they can absorb you. And, and, and for a lot of my colleagues who are like that, it works for them and I'm happy for them. But for, for me, I have four kids. My, my life is not my career. My, my career is, is, uh, is a revenue source, if you will, but it doesn't define who I am. My family defines who I am. And so for me, family always come first and my business partner and I know that, and we're both family men and we've yeah. been very successful having that balance. And were you doing endorsement deals, sponsorship deals for athletes with this company? Yeah, we were doing a ton of money. Um, to give you an example, during those 10 months, uh, we negotiated some of the largest deals for Mexican national team players in U.S. Uh, history. So that, that was a time where Hispanic, uh, where, where American brands were realizing that the best way to reach Hispanics was through the Mexican national team. Because I don't know if many of our listeners, your listeners know this, but um, Mexico plays more games in the United States than they do in Mexico itself. So technically, Mexico considers the U.S. their home the home. Uh, filter uh, turf and so we took advantage of that and we were negotiating multi-million dollar yields uh, deals with brands like miller Coors, gatorade pepsi cola um and all of its suits like like quakes and and you name it so yeah during that time we, we moved a lot of cash and you pivoted to to being an agent and this is something that you wanted to do you've been in the sports industry and you really wanted to do it and you and you you made this crazy pivot. Obviously, it was taking a toll on your family, um, but you transitioned to work for Wells Fargo, uh, doing some social media marketing for them. How did that opportunity come up? Um, I know you made the change because of family, but 
it was a pretty big pivot to go from sports agent to social social media for sure. manager for, for Wells Fargo. For sure. And my first role with Wells Fargo uh, was actually with sports marketing. Um, so, so my job oh, awesome. was sponsor. Yeah. My job was sponsorship. So, so the transition was a little bit smoother uh, and, and granted it was um, and you know, like any sponsorship department and, and you're familiar with this, our job was to manage uh, millions of dollars that we were spending in, yep. in endorsements and yep. sponsorships. I'm sorry. You know, some of them, for example, were the San Francisco 49ers, San Francisco Giants, uh, we had a slew of colleges and, uh, and professional teams throughout the nation. So, um, it, it was def- social media and the sport, sports side specifically, was that kind of your no, role or was no, it everything? Yeah. Managing the actual assets. Yeah. Actual managing assets, the assets, great. negotiating deals. In, in other words, my role was very, very similar to what yours is in Mount America yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if not identical, um, and, uh, our, our job was literally not only to manage those assets, but also take in incoming calls of, Hey, we have uh, a bull coming. Could you sponsor it? Things like that. So um, this is where I really knew that I was going to become a very successful agent. Because remember, I still had my license and I still had a dream of being an agent. I just wanted to do it my own way. Were you still representing anybody at that point? I I, I was not because the players that we had were not signed to me. They were signed to the firm that I was. Okay. But I knew that I always wanted to get back to it very promptly. And so, and so I also knew that my Wells Fargo move as random as it may sound was very strategic because it was going to give me a, a different layer than not too many agents have. Oh, and that is have, understanding you the, the sales. Side. You have the sales experience on the sponsorship side and understanding that, that, that whole world. And then you flip and for 10 months, you're, you're just like pounding out all this time of learning the agency side and, and, and working on these endorsement deals. And then you go work for a brand and you see exactly what the brand is behind the scenes. Right. Exactly. For for the, with those athletes. And so, yeah, what a, what a great strategic move for you to make. For sure. And that is, and that is the reason why I made it because I knew that this was going to set me up for my ultimate goal, which was again, to be an agent. That was always been my goal. And, and Wells Fargo for me, wasn't um, a move about money, although the money was great. It wasn't a move because of the location, although the location was great. It was 100% because I knew this was going to make me the best agent I could become. And that is exactly what happened at Wells Fargo, while at Wells Fargo. Um, and after I had transitioned from this role, um, I was at the sports marketing team uh, for a while. And then there was an opening for me to be with, uh, uh, with the social media department. Uh, because again, it's at this point, I think is uh, 2017 or 2018, somewhere around there. I can't remember now. It's been yeah. so long ago. Yeah. And uh, in, during that time, social media is, is becoming a big part of assets for sponsorships. Uh, and so we worked very, very, very closely with the social media team. So of course, there was an opening available and it was an upward move for me. And I thought, hey, social media could actually make me a really good agent as well. So I made that jump, but now I'm understanding a whole different beast. I'm learning yeah. about social media for a brand like Wells Fargo. Uh, I mean, that, that was pretty incredible. That's awesome. So along that same time, that's when, I, that's when I started my own firm representing athletes. And I made sure that Wells Fargo was okay with it and there was no conflict of interest. But I was purely representing athletes. So remember, I was a coach at the Columbus Crew level at the academy level. So I had all of these kids that are the elite players of their age groups. And so I knew that these guys were going to go to college and, and eventually graduate. And around that time is when they were graduating. So right off the bat, I sent a couple of them. 
And while I was working at Wells Fargo, I was also a full-time agent. And, and when one so thing- So being, being an agent was a side gig for you while, while you for were- For sure. It was the side hustle for a while. Yeah. But, um, we, but, but I knew that this side hustle was going to become a full-time hustle very soon. Yeah. And sure enough, I mean, I would argue that maybe after a year after I've, I was with the social media department, my agent world was making more money and taking more of my time that I had to let Wells Fargo go and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this full time. And you, did you work for two, two other agencies outside of Wells Fargo after that, before you created your own agency? Or had, when, when did you actually create your agency before, you know, come outside of, outside of Wells Fargo? When did that all transpire? So while I was at Wells Fargo, I created, I started my own agency called O's Group. O's being the last two letters of my last name, Terreros, okay. O's Group. Yeah. And well, and, and so I started working hard and, and, and literally, Jason, I was, I was working at Wells until 6 p.m. at night and I would get home and I would work on my agency until 2, 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. every single day. Um, and it, as I mentioned to you, it was a point that I couldn't do it anymore. My agency was making more money than my actual job at Wells. I left Wells Go. And then uh, I started working on my agency full time now. And out of the sudden, out of nowhere, this agency called SBX Group comes and knocks on my door and says, hey, we're looking to open this soccer department. We want to open a soccer department. And rather than starting from scratch, we want to purchase a company. Uh, we hear great things of you. You've grown very rapidly. Your numbers look great. Would you mind if we acquire you? Uh, I, how about, I was, how about that? I was stunned. I mean, that's the dream of any entrepreneur is to be per, to, to have your company acquired by a larger firm. And that is exactly what happened. Danny Fritz, uh, who is the CEO and founder of, of SBX still to this day, one of my best friends. Um, he, he brought me on and he said, I don't know you, but I believe in you. Let's work together to build this thing. Um, if I could share a quick story about my interaction with him. When they were acquiring my company, of course, they're trying to, you know, wire you and dine you. And so they flew me out to, to, to Miami, uh, first class, limo pickup, you name it. And the meeting was in Miami Beach. And, uh, and you, for those who may know, there is a bay between Miami Beach and, and main, main Miami, if you will. Um, and, uh, and there's only bridges that connect Miami Beach to the main part. Well, there was traffic galore. And I remember vividly, he was getting very frustrated. I was getting very frustrated. I was only there for like three hours and my plane was about to take off and I was only there to meet him. And so I said, to his, he goes by Fritzy. I said, Fritzy, I'm gonna get off. I just found a dude that will give me a ride on a jet ski and I'm gonna ride on the jet ski across the water and meet you. <laughs> this, this is how bad I want this. And I assume you, you feel the same way. And, and I think that's when we knew this relationship is going to be one that will last for a while because we knew that this is more than just business for us. Anyway, so fast forward, they acquired my company. They retained me as, a, as the chief marketing officer of the firm. What did that, um, was it, what did that acquisition look like? Um, so it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a full acquisition. My, com my company was absolutely absorbed, 100%. Everything I had from assets to to revenues, to contracts, um, 1099 employees, everything was completely absorbed. Um, and the cherry on the top was, hey, we're not only gonna take care of you uh, and, and give you the, the, the money, but we're also gonna say, stay with us for a little bit, help us grow this thing. We believe in what you've done. We believe you could even do it at a very, very big level. And uh, Fritzy 
had the confidence in me and that's what we did. Um, one of my first jobs as the chief marketing officer um, was to rebrand the company because SBX was always known as a golf agency. They're very, very well known in the golf industry, but they were transitioning to more than just golf. And literally my first job was to change that completely. Now we were going after consulting clients and sponsorship. We were going after endorsements. We were going after soccer, football, basketball. And thanks to that, uh, to that rebrand, it was so successful that now SBX represents the likes of RJ Barrett, arguably one of the best rookies uh, to play in NBA. Um, you know, celebrities like Chloe Wilde um, or uh, Taylor Sagan, a hockey player. And as I said, before I came, it was purely golf. Now the agency is known as a true sports agency. Uh, fast forward about two years um, and, um, you know, soccer, soccer in our country and in our region is not one that makes a lot of money right off the bat. It requires you a long runway. And if you're not creative, it's not going to make you money right off the bat. And I think that, uh, that uh, SBX may be, you know, there, there, was a, there was a difference in opinions of how we were going to make that money. And politely, we agreed that it was just best if, if I terminated my, my two-year contract with them and I went on my own. And it was, there was no again, non-competes or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and well, to the point that it was so such a great exit that I was actually to even, I was able to buy back my clients. So, oh, wow. So every single client I had uh, on the soccer side, I was able to buy back. Did well, they, were, there, were there other clients that came on while you were there? So they kept those ones and then you kept the ones? No, no. Even the, even the ones, even the soccer clients I acquired during my two years. Because remember, I was the CMO of the company, yeah, but yeah. I was also still an agent. Um, and so during that time, uh, all of the clients that I acquired, all the clients that I brought on, I was able to purchase back from them. So, um, so help me understand there. So they acquire your company and bring on all these athletes, right? And I'm sure they made they made some good money with with that. Why would they let Why would they just let all those athletes go if they wanted to have a soccer extension? What What was the What was the the business plan with with that for for, them? for SBX during my exit? Yeah, yeah, for SBX with their exit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have a soccer department anymore. Um, during that time, there were some major signings uh, in North America of millions and millions of dollars. And I think that all of our hope was that we were going to get to that point within two years. And unfortunately we did. And, and, uh, and again, as I said at the beginning, soccer requires a little bit of a longer runway and you yeah. have to be creative. Um, and unfortunately it just didn't work out in the sense that we were going to make the amount of money that we thought we would. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but again, it worked out to the point that I was able to exit happily you know, in very yeah. good terms. Uh, now I have more guys, more money, more experience. Um, but most importantly, I kept and maintained the relationship with uh, one of the biggest legends in the sports industry, which is Danny Fritz. And so it was last year that you actually kind of broke away and, and, um, and started uh, Felcrum with your, with your current partner and founder um, as well. Daniel Correct. And, uh, yeah, so, so now you've, uh, you've started to build this agency. Um, how many, how many athletes do you represent and what is the, what does your agency specifically do? So, um, uh, b before I, before I answer that question, just to explain how Daniel Woolard, he goes by Woolley comes in the picture while at SBX, um, um, I had met Wooly through a friend of mine, Wooly played in major league soccer for a long time. And he had at the time was becoming a lawyer. 
So I said, Willie, why don't you come work for me at this company called SBX? Let's try to build this together. So he comes on board uh, and he worked with us for a few, I, I want to say about a year. And then he said, let me, let me finish and let me, let me take care of my law degree and then let's talk again. And I think you and I should do something on our own eventually. And I said, I totally agree. I think you and I should start something from scratch. Fast forward when I had my exit at SBX, Wooly was actually very, very involved in my exit because he was kind of my, my legal counsel yeah, <laughs> behind the scenes. He was the lawyer in it. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, so him and I purchased our clients back, if you will, and we immediately started Felcrum. So we have about 30 clients, um, give or take, all professional soccer players. So again, difference between SBX and, and our firm is that SBX is a multi-sport, multi-level type uh, agency, whereas Felcrum is purely soccer and uh, marketing consulting. Those are our two departments. Um, so we have about 30 clients on the, on the representation side. Now we have a few clients on the consulting side. Um, as I mentioned to you, we understand the marketing side very well. So we consult brands like Jaybird Sports on when it comes to, to, to sportsmanship, sponsorships and marketing. And uh, our, our brand message is simple. Uh, we're a small firm. Uh, but we're feisty. We're going to work hard. We're going to outwork any other agency out there. We have the experience, we have the knowledge, but we're most importantly, we're going to work harder than anyone else. And that is the reason why we've been so successful uh, for the past year. And we've grown so rapidly because of it. And at Felcrum, you, you guys do a great job of educating your athletes to utilize their reach and build and build their brands. How, how do you feel like that you do that through sponsorships and endorsements? Yeah, that's an interesting question because in our industry, not too many agents really focus on this. A lot of agents think ah, this is something that will happen natural, right? They're, yeah. they're being viewed by millions of people on TV and in stadiums. Why do I need to invest time and effort into building their brands? And I think this is where our agency catapults and, and kind of stands above everyone else because we're actually investing tangible dollars behind our athletes' brands. Just to give you an idea, for one of our clients, it costs us about $4,000 of our own money to develop logos, websites, uh, full marketing strategies. Uh, but we believe that if we do so, we're going to be able to capitalize on the sponsorship side. And it's paid off. Um, I have a perfect example. I'm not going to mention names to protect our clients' identities, but 17-year-old kid, um, he, comes into, he comes into the league as a 17-year-old kid. He says, I want a sponsorship deal with, with an endemic brand. I love Nike. What can you do for me? We called Nike and they laughed. They said, he's a nobody yet. Nobody knows him. Then we, with this problem, if you will, quote unquote, we create this idea of let's develop his brand. Let's develop him a logo, a website. Let's literally make him an actual brand. We go back to a different brand and now we have a deal. So again, we have tangible examples of how building the brands of athletes help us on the sponsorship side to monetize them eventually. And you've, in and what do you feel like is an ideal sponsorship for, for an athlete? What, what's, what's ideal what, as, a, as an agent in, in working something out for your, for your client? The most ideal partnership is one that's organic. Um, when I think of endemic deals, they're organic naturally because they're wearing the cleats, they're wearing the gloves, they're wearing the shin guards. But when it comes to non-endemic deals, the most important ones and the most successful ones are the organic ones. The ones that, that, that feel like they're not actual sponsorships, they're actual partnerships. Well, they got to be passionate about what they're talking about, right? Uh, of course, of course. And that is when I feel that we succeed the most. And these, these athletes have massive followings. You know, how do you leverage their following to help 
help these brands and their marketing efforts? Like, what do you, what do you do as you kind of put these, these deals together to help with that? You, you know, one of the things that we really encourage our clients to do is to listen to their fan base, understand what they are, understand what they look like, literally their age groups, their, their, their backgrounds, their ethnicities, their age, their, their genders, and understand who they are, because if you do so, then you're gonna, it's gonna be easier for us to sell them, most importantly, but number two, is gonna allow them to create content that will be organic, uh, that will be engageable, and therefore our sponsor is gonna be really happy with it. So that's the one thing that we really try to help our clients is understand who their fan bases are, uh, and that's how we capitalize on them. And, and I, you and I have talked about this before, and, and, uh, other times and even off off the record but this thing called social responsibility right um with with the athletes <laughs> followings um or followers what what does this mean um and the social responsibility and how important it is it for your athletes as you represent them for them to have social responsibility when it comes to obtaining sponsorships or endorsements for for the athlete you know, it's funny because as I mentioned earlier, we're a very small firm and we pride ourselves in it. Uh, for that reason, we can go out and recruit any type of client. So with that in mind, every single one of our clients, and we pride ourselves in this, is socially responsible. Somebody who is down to earth, they have a head on their shoulders and we're proud of that. They're good kids. So with that said, social responsibility is important for us. Uh, and I think that we, when it comes to sponsorships in today's market, in today's environment, um, any successful sponsorship will have a social component that gives back to their community. Uh, and again, it fulfills the athlete, it makes the sponsor happy, and it makes all of us look good. Uh, and, and those are usually the most organic ones, uh, are the ones that have some type of, uh, of community involvement in them. And, and those, are the, those are the ones that we really love to help execute are those that have something to give back to the communities. Do you have an example of, of a partnership that you've put together between a brand and an athlete that, that's been super successful? Yeah, so for, for sure. So um, a good example of one is Western Union, Javi Aquino. Javi Aquino is a Mexican national team legend, millions and millions of followers on social media. Um, and... Uh, Western Union, of course, being um, a money transfer giant. Um, and through this partnership, it was a Mother's Day campaign um, in where there was, a, there was a sweepstake and a winner would come to hang out with Javi for a full day and have a blast. Well, when we continued to develop the partnership, we thought it would be really cool if that day that they get to hang out is not just going out to the movies and and shooting the breeze and having a couple of drinks. What if we actually give back to the local community of the person that wins? And that's exactly what we did. The winner was from Houston, Texas. Uh, and we got, we got to go back to Houston on a specific day. And, and we put it on a, on a camp for underprivileged Hispanic children in the area. And we had, I think it was over 200 kids at this camp. And the camp was literally presented by Javi Aquino and his friend who won the sweepstake. And it changed completely the, the image of the whole campaign. The campaign before was when this amazing opportunity to kick it with the professional athlete yeah. now is so your community can be impacted by it. Um, Western Union was so happy with it that, you know, we had that partnership for a few years. And again, it's one that I'm proud of being able to put a community spin to. So what do you feel like the, the future looks like for Felcrum as you 
you you've not worked been doing it for for a year now and and uh started started this new new venture what's what's the future hold for for your agency you know we're so excited we're growing rapidly as i mentioned but most importantly we're growing consistently we don't want to outgrow ourselves uh so we're finding team members that can help us grow at the same pace that we can trying to find uh, because again we pride ourselves in right exactly we pride ourselves in boutique uh, representation personalized representation. And I can't do that if I all of a sudden grow to a hundred clients. I don't have enough minutes in the day to answer phones. I mean, I don't even have enough minutes in a day to, to take care of four kids, let alone a hundred clients, right? Yeah. So for that reason, we got to scale and we've put some key team members in place to help us do that. But when I think of Felcrum in the next year, um, our main goal is to become a powerhouse in Canada. We're already doing so. Uh, by the time this podcast air, we have announced one Cordova, who is a Canadian national team uh, player. Um, he is a high profile player. He's currently playing in Chile. Um, and uh, that is one of many signings that we're about to announce. So, so Canada for us is an important market solely for the simple fact that in 2026, the World Cup is coming to our region. And if we can take Canada by the horns, we're going we're gonna to own North America. So in a year, we want to own Canada. We're already there. We have several national team players. We have strong ties with every single major league soccer team that plays in Canada. Uh, we have strong ties with CPL, CPL standing for Canadian Premier League, which is the professional soccer league in Canada. And, uh, and consequently, we're trying to grow countries like Mexico and Colombia, as well as the United States. And we're seeing a lot of success rapidly. Um, and so I really think that within a year, we're going to be a North American power. I'm excited for you. I think you're going to, I think you're going to kill it. Do a great job. And, and, uh, I got a couple of questions just in, in conclusion here to, to finish up. I appreciate you taking time with us today, but what, what makes you get up in the morning and do do what you do as an agent? Soccer. I think that soccer provides happiness. Also provides a lot of distress and sadness for whoever team is losing. Uh, but soccer provides a lot of happiness and to, to, without mentioning names today I was in a call where a parent was so proud that they actually shed tears and that is a passion of mine I get up every single day because of soccer and because what that sport means to people and it's not only on the talent representation side but also on the marketing consulting side sports in general um, elevate brands elevate uh, partnerships and, and that to me is a passion that's awesome and if you were listening to this podcast 20 years ago, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Just ride the boat, man. Ride, ride the wave. It's going to be a sweet one. So many times, and, and for whoever, whoever is listening who is frustrated and feels like they're plateauing in their careers, you're not. If you have a path and if you have a goal, just ride that wave. It's going to lead you somewhere. and just got to trust yourself and trust the process. And that's exactly what I would tell myself. And those who want to become a sports agent, what would you, what would you tell them? All those, all those childhood dreams out there of becoming a sports agent. What's there? What, what advice would you give them? Run away. It is the Run worst away. job you could ever have. You'll never sleep again. I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 become passionate about it. Understand it, and try to find yourself a mentor. In this industry, if you don't have somebody that can lead you and guide you through it, you're gonna get eaten alive because it's a very tough industry. Cisco, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast today. And I know you, you have a great podcast as well. Um, I know I've been a guest on there too um, recently, but uh, why don't you tell listeners about it and how they can listen? 
Yeah, so the name of our podcast is The Absolute Value. When you think of math, you think of the absolute value being the positive version of a negative number, if you will. Um, and that's what we t- try to tell. Uh, the positive stories, uh, or, or I, I apologize, the negative stories, they have turned positive of athletes, of professional athletes. Um, so many people think that a professional athlete rises to the top because of God-given talent, but that is farther from the truth. Um, professional athletes rise to the top because of hard work, because of blood, sweat, and tears. And you can listen to it anywhere you listen to the same podcast. Just search the Absolute Value Podcast and you'll find us there. Awesome. Cisco Terreros, co-founder of Felcrum. Thanks, Cisco. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sponsor Pod. Today's podcast was brought to you by Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today. Find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Sponsor Pod. Before you go, I want to remind you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends through email, social media, or even by word of mouth. We appreciate all the support. Until next time, I'm Jason Smith, and you've been listening to The Sponsor Pod.